Can I get some music going? Welcome to the Soccer Cross Social Podcast for USCX Series Kickoff Weekend. And we start the season in Roanoke, Virginia on a perfect weekend for Soccer Cross as Mr. USCX Series himself, Vincent Bastos, takes on the opposition. We welcome inside my respected and always knowledgeable partner, Isam, to analyze the racing. Welcome inside, Isam. Thank you for being here again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I need to up the game this year. need to tap into the American market. But yeah, it's, it's an understatement to say I'm excited here for the first recap podcast of the year racing in Roanoke, Virginia for the first round of the USCX series, Isam. What, what were your thoughts on the weekend? Happy to be back? Yeah, absolutely. The feeling that uh, was lacking just before the weekend, um, yeah, now it's uh, fully back, fully in, in cross mode. And uh, I think we had a yeah great weekend, to be honest, of, of racing, especially in the men's category. I think the women's category was also good, but the racing in the men's category was just a little closer at the front. And uh, I think um, it was a great weekend uh, to start with for the USCX series. Let's dive straight into the racing. It was hot, dry and dusty. It was a fast race. Ferdinand had the best start and created a leading group of six riders which turned into five riders as Caleb Swartz was dropped. We had Ferdinand and Bastans at the front of the race but it was mainly Strohmeyer who together with Ferdinand were calling the shots. Bastans was suffering. It was not his day. He was dropped for a while, managed to come back. Roulier, who was also in the front group, did the same, dropped but came back. The only stable factors up front were Ferdinand, Strohmeyer and White. But despite these struggles, all five riders went into the final lap together. In the final lap, it was Andrew Strohmeyer who went crazy. He put the hammer down. He went all out. It's not for the first time that race. He managed to drop White, who had made a move for the race lead before. Bastans was dropped before that already. We went into the final section of the course with three leaders. Andrew Strohmeyer, Anton Ferdinand and Loris Roulier. On that final part of the course, Roulier took the lead up the big climb and the tank was visually empty for Strohmeyer. He did what he could but had to leave a small gap to Roulier just before the final corner. The two bike lengths became six bike lengths through the corner and Roulier sprinted to victory just ahead of Ferdinand who overtook Strohmeyer on the line. Very entertaining race is some dry fast conditions. What do you think of the racing itself? Roulier taking the win despite being dropped halfway through the race. What do you think was up there? It's not something we see that often, somebody being dropped, coming back, winning the race, at least in this context. Do you think they made a mistake letting him come back, letting him recover, or do you think there was more behind it? I don't think that Roulier was not in control of the race, uh, but I, you know, the, the gap was there at a certain point. You could maybe make use of it, but we have seen the riders like Strohmeyer really, you know, trying multiple times in the race, and and we saw that that didn't really lead to something uh, significant. Obviously, the other riders have to follow. The other riders have to also put in an effort, but I think on a course like this, uh, you know, those small differences, you know. While they they obviously are not nice for someone to have, it is you know a bit in the nature of the racing as well because it's quite hard, especially the more you're at the back, the more you have to close the gaps. And I think you know at that time Rudier was not at the front, uh, and then you are you are at the back, so it is quite you know that is um, I think that was just because of the nature of the race, and then after that Rudier kind of knew that from there he had to be more at the front, and um, I think then. He, he learned his lesson and made sure that in the last lap he was at the front at the right time. Yeah, very good point you raised there because the course was so fast and so dry. Positioning was absolutely key there. You needed to position yourself right at the front of the group. Ideally, you would sit in second or third wheel, but if you were further behind, you would eventually just get stretched out. And we saw that first with Caleb Swartz. I think he was already super happy to make it into that front group. But the mistake he made was sitting at the back, sitting in sixth wheel all of the time. Maybe he just absolutely didn't have the legs to move up, but there were some moments, especially on the road, where I would have liked to see him make a move to the front. Just position yourself up front there. You're going to be saving so much energy. 
This course had quite a lot of corners, quite a bit of climbing as well from at some point basically a standstill. If you are at the back there, you are still breaking to get into the corner whilst the others are already going full out up the climb or accelerating onto the straight. You need to be up front. And Roulier was mastering that for most of the race. I think the first 35 minutes he barely hit the wind. He was just sitting in second, third, controlling the race. When he came at the back, indeed, he got dropped, managed to come back. I think that was a bit in the nature of the race, as Bastans did the same. Curtis White had that same issue in the beginning of the race, of sitting at the back a bit too much, but he got into the mix a bit later. The ideal thing here, especially for Rouillet, I think, was that Strohmeyer and Ferdinand were both just absolutely sending it. They were just firing shots all of the time. I think they both could have raced a lot more conservatively because... It seemed to me like they were just wasting energy most of the time. Yeah, I fully agree. I think these type of races, especially the race on the Saturday, which was fast, you need to be uh, a little bit easy on your energy because you will need it in the end. And um, at a certain, you know, beginning of the race and the middle of the race, you will not feel tired in a way. Obviously, it's very hard because you have to to you know go on a very high pace. But it's the last lap or the last couple of laps where you will feel it a little bit more, the actions that you have done before. But to be honest, both Strohmeyer and Ferdinand were both at the front till till the end of the race. But then you could maybe ask yourself, or at least those guys could ask themselves, what could have been? Because I think both Strohmeyer and, and Ferdinand were very strong, really trying to, to make a very hard race out of it. But I just don't think that that was the the right strategy. And I think mainly Ferdinand also after the race acknowledged that that was not really the smartest thing to do and that he uh, would learn, uh, try to learn from it and, and don't make the same mistake on, on the Sunday race. Strohmeyer, on the other hand, was a bit more, um, <laughs> I don't know, he, he was uh, quite happy uh, with, with his race, the way he was racing it, but I think it's also a bit the mentality of, of, of those guys. You could clearly see that, that someone like Curtis White Roulier and, and, and Bastons have been racing in the elite category for, for victories. And I think Ferdinand and Strohmeyer haven't been doing that so much. You know, Ferdinand, I think, has done some elite racing. Strohmeyer, I don't know, couple maybe, but not really, you know, not really for the win at that point. So I think that is just, it's it's a different way of racing. And I think that was kind of the reason why those guys were really going at it from from the moment they could. Yeah, I can get it from the perspective of Strohmeyer. He said it, yeah, I was just trying and enjoying myself up front. And fair play to him. I mean, he's a last year U23, but don't underestimate him on these type of courses. Last year, he got sixth in Tabor, got another top 10 in Benidorm and Troy in the U23. No, that was Besançon, the U23 World Cups. He's pretty good on fast courses as demonstrated in those races. He did super well here and... I mean, I get that he's excited and he will learn from this. As you say, he's not used to it. But for Ferdinand, the second year elite, last year he did some international racing, won a Toy 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 Cup, raced in Spain for the win, ended on the podium there, ended on the podium in Germany, ended on the podium in Switzerland. A guy like this should know a bit better. And I think he made too many mistakes this weekend, not only the Saturday race, but also the Sunday race, which we'll come to later. There's definitely some learning curve points there still for Ferdinand who just didn't race enough with it with his head you could see that the tank was just empty for Strohmeyer and Ferdinand especially Strohmeyer because when Roulier he didn't even need to fully go he was just preparing the sprint and Strohmeyer already dropped the gap and then even on that super short finish straight he still got passed by Ferdinand well, thank God that uh, he at least felt a little bit those attacks that he was doing. But um, yeah, that's. I, I think that Ferdinand, after you know, still being able to pass Strohmeyer there, definitely felt that he might have, you know, left a potential race win. Uh, but I have to agree on on the fact that Rulier definitely looked, especially if you, you know, consider his last lap, the way he was riding and the way he was able to, kind of control the lead. Uh, definitely looked to me like he was a bit the strongest, definitely the smartest during the race. 
it it was actually a, a great course to watch because there were definitely a couple of sections where you could pass the rider um and it was also quite technical at, at some sections as well so it was it was a treat to watch them in the final lap uh, trying to pass them Curtis White with a very late move try to to get around maybe get a, a podium spot I definitely think that he had the possibility to do so but yeah just not really the right time couldn't get around and then you know you're kind of stuck in in fourth position and for him it was then um kind of done and over to uh, to get himself a podium spot on the other side of the spectrum we had bastans normally the master of racing with his head racing economically he didn't seem to have it what was up isam was it maybe the decline i mean we discussed it in the preview podcast that we thought he wouldn't be as strong as in previous seasons but that fifth okay sure we will come to the sunday race which was already better for him but what are your conclusions on Bassans, Isam, or your premature conclusions? It was a hard uh, day in the office for him. I think he was, I wouldn't say struggling, but it was definitely difficult for him to make a move. Couldn't really utilize his experience. I, I think he, he used experience to, to make it an easier day, but in the end, it, you know, he just didn't have had enough to, to fight for, for a podium. I don't know. It could have several reasons. Obviously, um, what I heard that you know he arrived in in the states Friday morning, not ideal. So he was probably still having some sort of a jet lag in a way. Uh, preparation wasn't probably the most ideal, but I I think it, it it goes both ways. It might be a sort of a decline, which is normal for in the you know at the point of a career where he is at. But, you know, it was also maybe a fast race with didn't really suit him. I, I don't know. I think it it has a bit of several reasons. Arriving late also has a, you know, is, is definitely part of, of why you could not perform well. So, yeah, I, I think overall he didn't really have to look too much into it. He was kind of there, there, thereabout. And, um, you know, just the start of the season. So it's it's not a shocking result. But I don't think it was something that he would have wanted in the first day yeah i think you're going towards the right direction there he indeed arrived on friday and i don't want to point too much towards the preview podcast but i already said there despite bastans normally being pretty good on the fast courses he is pretty all-rounded he's good on the muddy and the fast courses but Despite that, I already thought he would struggle with Roulier and Ferdinand. I mean, especially Roulier seems to have made quite a step this year. He's up on it, rolling around, he's enjoying himself. Seems to be going well for him finally, and Ferdinand is just a decent rider around the level of Bastan. So it's expected when Bastan is hitting the 34 mark and Ferdinand is hitting the 25 mark, that you're going to see their careers go in the reverse trajectory. Bastan's downhill, Ferdinand the uphill. It's just the normal curve of a cyclocross career. So no shame. I know Bastan's was very unsatisfied with his result on Saturday, but we'll come to the Sunday race, which was already a bit better. But yeah, for Bastan's, normally the master of economic riding, here I would say that he sat at the back a bit too much. That fifth place, which he was in most of the time, it was a bit too much with the way this race was raced. With Ferdinand and Strohmeyer just going at it at the front, you needed to be like Roulier or White just swapping that second, third and fourth place. You really don't want to be further behind than fourth. Let's look at the entire top 10 then. The win for Loris Roulier ahead of Anton Ferdinand and Andrew Strohmeyer. Just off the podium, Curtis White ahead of Vincent Bastans. And then we had a sixth place for Caleb Swartz, who was with the leaders for the first part of the race. But in the end, just about had enough of a gap to avoid being overtaken by a group of chasers behind. Jules van Kempen finished seventh there ahead of Marcus Shelton, Michael van den Ham and Ben Frederick. So let's briefly discuss that group racing for seventh place we saw a little bit on the broadcast it's an interesting mix there is some we have two u23 guys marcus shelton and jules van kemper racing against two of the more experienced guys michael van der ham and ben frederick van der ham announced that this year will be his final year racing he's going to retire and become the national coach for canada starting in november already so right after canadian nationals 
On the other hand, we have Jules van Kempen, who is trying to make the World Selection this year, World Cup Selection, runner-up at the Nationals last year, Marcus Shelton, just a 19-year-old rider, at least racing age 19. Pretty strong results by those two youngsters. Yeah, I agree. I think definitely definitely strong results from those guys. It, it's obviously a bit of, um, um, I wouldn't maybe age-shaming, but... At a certain age, these type of races are not as suitable as they as they are for for the, some you know the the younger riders in a way. But I definitely think that for them it was a very strong result, especially in you know the race one on the Saturday. We didn't really see a lot from from that battle day two. We saw definitely a little bit more of that. Yeah, I think I think for both guys it was definitely a very good result and promising as well. You know, the, it's the beginning of the season. You need something to build on and. and all the training you want to see it kind of pay off and i think for them it definitely in a way showed that that the form in their regard the shape is is good and there is something to build up from um, continuing on in the season let's go on and talk about the women's racing then that was a lot less entertaining unfortunately we had the fastest start for sydney mcgill but it became clear pretty quickly that Magalie Rochette, despite a non-ideal prep, was by far the strongest rider. In the second lap, she opened the gap, and that basically put the race into its final form. She went solo, took the victory. Mani was the rider who tried to follow her for the longest possible amount of time, ended second, and eventually Raylin Nuss ended third. We had some doubts going into this race. It's about the form of Rochette. She wrote on Instagram that her prep had not been ideal, that she only had done one proper training block since January. And then to put out a performance like this, with all due respect, not against the greatest field, but it's still a promising sign. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was um, (laughs) quite good, especially considering (laughs) what we have talked about before the weekend. You know, I was not... I had to kind of see where it was going with her in the race. We got the answer, I guess. And it was, you know, for her, I think it was a quite a good performance. Obviously, like you say, it's not world-class uh, that she had to face. But I think, nevertheless, it was it was a good race. It was a tough day as well because it was, you know, like we said already, fast, dusty. But I think overall she, she held her own and it was, um, you know, from quite early on in the race uh, clear that um, you know it, something crazy had to happen for her not to uh, lose the race yeah i found another instagram post from after the preview but before the race of her husband saying that she was putting out all-time best numbers the same number she was putting out when she was ending on the podium of the world cup in besançon the numbers were 5.6 watt per kilo for 5 minutes, 10 repeats, all above that, so pretty good numbers. I think, well, I, I expected her to win, as I said in the preview, I would give her the benefit of the doubt. I still think there's progression, there, there's margin for improvement in this season, and that excites me because... We know from last year when Rochette had a bit of a difficult start to the season that she still recovered pretty well. She was pretty decent towards the end of the season, ended in the top 10 at Worlds, was 9th there, was 9th in Benidorm, almost ended on the podium in Valdisol, ended 5th there, just behind Persico and Bakker. I remember her being in the mix for that battle the entire race. There have been significant improvements from her side last year. And this year, I am honestly pretty optimistic. If she's starting at a better point and can still improve, considering that her training was not ideal, she said, I've been treating these races as training as well. I'm pretty optimistic that Rochette, well, maybe not against Pietersen, Van Anrooy, maybe a very good Backstedt, of course Van Empel, that will be difficult. But when one of them is absent, a podium place is up for grabs. I think she can be in the mix there. Especially because something which we haven't mentioned so far, Lucinda Brandt is going to miss the start of the cyclocross season due to a new broken collarbone. Yeah, I, I definitely think that it is promising indeed. And is this level going to be enough to bring up the fight to Van Empel, Pietersen, Van Anrooy? I don't know. I think it's a bit uh, that 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 might be a bit too much. But 
you know, on a good day, I think that a, a podium, if everything goes right, is possible. And, and but then everything has to go right. You know, it it, it has to be a good day from her side. The track has to be good in in a way as well. So everything has to be aligned for that to happen. I feel. But I think overall, you know, there is a top five in the World Cups is definitely is definitely possible with with a good form. So you know, I hope that she can reach that because I think it would be good um, for for the women's category. We had a lot of <laughs> Dutch women at the front, so it's it's uh, quite nice for a change to see uh, something else uh, in the top five. Another flag, but I think overall, I think she you know the the start of the season is is promising. It's not crazy, but it's good. And from here, you can definitely build on to um, to maybe perhaps a, a very strong season. Behind Rochette, there was pretty close racing, at least time-based. Mani, Ness and McGill, there was not much time between them. But the gap was stable around 10 seconds between each of the riders, which didn't really make it entertaining. Mani just getting the better of Ness is not really a surprise. What do you think about McGill? I would have hoped that she had been a little bit better to compete with those two, but overall the form of McGill was not bad at all. It was going to be interesting if she would have been able to, you know, challenge. It it might have been also the fact that she opened the race maybe a little bit too fast compared to, especially compared to Mani and Nuss. Uh but I think that overall it looked good and it's a good foundation to start from. Season is very long. I mean, we're you know, we are just mid-September at this point, so there is still a long way to go. Some of the riders didn't really, uh, you know, they are on different training schedules and different preparations, and some have a whole different plan compared to others. Uh, so I think that overall, I definitely think that, the, you know, the racing itself from her side was, was good. She was kind of up there, and, you know, fourth spot was kind of where we have had placed her before the race, so I think that she... Uh, fulfilled that and then you know overall i think it was a good race let's look at the entire top 10 then michael rochette with a win ahead of caroline mani and raylan nuss just off the podium sydney mcgill had a minutes gap over taylor cook white who ended fifth lauren zorner ended sixth ahead of emily shield amelia shea ella brenneman in ninth and regina leg in 10 few names I would like to pick out of this top 10. Let's start with Lauren Zorner, the number 6 of the race, 20-year-old. We discussed her in the race preview podcast as well, Isam, as a rider that could continue going. And it was pretty much what we expected with Austin Killips scrapped, Caitlin Bernstein not here. She's fighting for that 5th, 6th place and she did pretty well. Still a good result for a U23 rider. I will give you all the credits because I think you mentioned her. I didn't mention her, but it's uh, definitely a very good result. And like you said, there were some names that uh, that that you know could have potentially be up there as well. With those not being there, it definitely helps. Uh, but then you still have to do it. And I think that overall she can be very satisfied with with the result itself. I think it's a, a strong outing difficult circumstances as well it's it was definitely a race where you could you know go too fast pace yourself out a little bit too fast and then hit a wall not being able to continue the same pace that you were doing and you know miss out on a good result and you know she wasn't really she didn't really do that quite the opposite was able to get into some sort of a rhythm and you know managed to the sixth place so i think strong outing from her a final name I would like to mention here is the one of Ella Brenneman. First year U23, ninth place here racing for the CX Hairs Trek Bikes development team. Very pleased to see some young riders in the top 10 here. We know that there were a couple of talented junior and junior women last year in the ranks amongst the Americans. So I'm pleased to see them pop their names here in the top of the results, see them up there. Sure, there's a handful of names missing, but I think it's a good development that we see riders like this pop in the top 10 because for the past years, I've noticed that it's pretty much the same names and they've aged quite a bit now. So it's good to see a new generation pop through. Then it's time for a new segment on this podcast. Hey, it's Jan Dori out 
En onthoud vooral die voornaam. Typo is de naam. It's time for Dutch Word of the Week. This segment in which we will try and learn you a new Dutch word every week related to the racing. And the word of this week is stuntman slash acrobat. Isam, care to explain? <laughs> I will try to. Um, well, stuntman is the literal word, obviously, is, is, is stunt performer. Somebody that, you know, stunt actor, someone that performs these type of stunts for movies or whatever. The context here, if you use it in, 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 in the cyclocross world in a way, it, it means that it is a rider that, uh, you know, has these these stunts, tricks. Showboat, showboat, showboat Showboating, alert. obviously showboating, you know, doing a bit over the top, you know, the, the uh, going sideways on a jump, uh, you know, just doing a bit too much and that that would definitely be uh you know if if somebody would would be that kind of guy then you would call him a stuntman or we would call him anton ferdinand but boy was he entertaining the crowd on sunday the full-on whip flipping the back wheel kissing the front one on the bridge two laps later he pulls a wheelie on the bridge and just keeps riding and then jumps on the final part my man was cooking he was entertaining the crowd i love to see it so that's why the word of this week is stuntman then we go on to talking about sunday's racing on the woman's side it was a very very straightforward race michael rochette had pretty much the fastest start sure sydney mcgill led for half a minute but then rochette hit the front went solo that was game over Behind her, we had Raylan Nuss in second place for a while, but towards the end of the race, Caroline Mani overtook her, which gave us the same result as on Saturday. The Big Rochette show was crowned off with a double victory ahead of Mani and Nuss. Let's not repeat ourselves too much here, Isam, but I do have some things to share on Rochette, which was another dominant performance, this time on a course which was a lot more wet, it was a bit more slippery, a little bit of mud, but... She's taken a different approach to her season. I've read this in her newsletter. They have sold their trailer. They have sold a bunch of equipment. They are traveling lighter. They are trying to travel less. They will be staying closer to the races instead of driving everywhere. They will take the airplane a bit more. They will reduce the, tr the time traveling. They even calculated their co2 emissions it said in the newsletter that they were actually out lower flying rather than driving the big trailer with their big truck so everything together it seemed a pretty interesting new approach also working together with the new Cervelo orange living team and i think it's smart because we often underestimate how much of a burden travel is on these north american athletes yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's not ideal to um, to 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 go back and forth uh, by plane. Um, we Europeans already complain uh, with one week of racing in the states or two weeks of racing in the states, and already complain about jet lag and all these kind of stuff. While uh, for for the the Americans is the the other way around. The Americans and the Canadians they have to fly over, stay for multiple weeks, and then come back again and mad respect for for the ones that have to to do that and it's interesting to see that uh, they have opted now for for a different approach i don't know what the right word for be, for it would be um i think an improvement for sure uh, it sounds like so yeah i think there there is there is actually a lot to gain in that i would assume because it's it, it's quite it quite it has quite an impact on the race could have quite an impact on on your whole preparation in general it's the same way with, with food and sleeping and all these kind of stuff. It it has an impact. You know, sometimes you got to try and, and, and work on, on things that you normally wouldn't be working on. We have seen it in, in, in the road cycling as well, the way, you know, the innovations have changed cycling there. So I, I think it's uh, good to see that kind of, uh, you know, change and improvements in a way. And it will be interesting to see how that will play out and if it will actually benefit her in the long run. Yeah, another thing they said they changed was when they started preparing the season. Said that she started later compared to usual. Only did one mountain bike marathon race as the preparation. So 
pretty interesting and that partnership with the Cervelo Orange team seems to be a pretty good step forward. I think it's good that the Cervelo Orange Living team is created. It's a U25 development team. They currently have three riders, Sydney McGill, Kaya Musgrave and Jules van Kempen. All pretty talented riders, two Americans, one Canadian, team is run by Chris McGovern. And I do think that this is a good step. The U23 scene in the US is lacking. When you're junior, you can run through the Federation or the Eurocross Academy to get to Europe. But once you become U23, there haven't been that many teams. It's good that the CX Hairs development team is there now to bring riders to Europe or at least to the races in the US. But a purely U23 focused team is definitely a good shout. And Sydney McGill did pretty well this weekend. Same for Jules van Kempen, who scored two top 10s. And Kaya Musgrave ended in the top 10 of the race on Sunday. And she is another one of those U23 riders, first year U23 riders, who I will be following this season. Let's run through the entire top 10 then to finish off the talk about the women's racing. Magali Rochette with another win, the exact same top four. Rochette, Mani, Nuss, McGill. Lauren Zorner did one position better than on Saturday ending fifth. Ahead of Emily Shields, Zoe Clay, Kaya Musgrave in eighth actually even better than in ninth. I remembered from the top of my head because ninth place was for Taylor Cook-White ahead of Amelia Shi, who rounded out the top 10. Then onto the men elite race where we had seven leaders for the opening part of the race. We had Jack Spranger with Michael Vandenham, Caleb Swartz, Anton Ferdinand, Vincent Bastans, Curtis White and Loris Rouillet. Just before the halfway point of the race, Curtis White made a mistake which gave Loris Rouillet a gap. Ferdinand needed to spend quite a bit of energy to close this gap and he was the only one to do so. This process pulled apart the chasing group which meant we had two leaders and then, well, some groups, some individuals behind. White was leading the chase for a while together with Bastans, but they didn't really manage to come back on Ferdinand and Roulier until the two started playing games. With three laps to go, they didn't really bother pacing. Bastans opened the chase behind. Bastans managed to rejoin the leaders going into the final lap, but was unable to feature relief in the battle for victory. We had... An interesting battle between Rouillet and Ferdinand. They two looked at each other. Ferdinand was honestly looking pretty good to win it. But in the final fifth of the course, he made three mistakes. First, he went onto the power too early out of a corner. Slipped, managed to close the gap on the climb. Then on the off-camera, he was too wild, drifted, lost time. Took a lot of risk into the corner to close the gap to Rouillet. He managed to do that. But then as he accelerated, he made a shifting issue or there was a mechanical issue there. But anyway, it was game over for him. Rouillet went on to claim his second win of the weekend. Bastans overtook Ferdinand to end second and Ferdinand ended third. Another entertaining race is on the men's side. What were your thoughts on it? It was very entertaining, I guess, but it was, I think we had definitely a stronger Roulier. Bastans looked way better than he looked on the Saturday. Ferdinand was kind of confirmation of what we got the day before. It was definitely one of the stronger guys. But I think just, you know, Roulier was, he could read the race very well. You know, he, he understood that it was a bit different compared to the Saturday race where you couldn't you can take a little bit more initiative and it would actually be better to be at the front because if the guys behind you make a mistake, then you might get a gap. And that was exactly what happened. White made a mistake. Uh, Ferdinand tried to wait a little bit, but then just saw that the gap was not going to be closed and then had to do it on his own, which was a very, very strong effort. Uh, I actually thought that, that he would he would pay a lot from it in the later part of the race, but he actually managed quite well. Yeah, and then the mistakes in the end from from Ferdinand were just a bit, yeah, a bit too much. I think he after the Saturday race he really wanted to win. He felt that he could have won maybe if he did the race a little bit different, and that might have played a role. He was he was doing a bit too much in the last lap. Uh, especially, you know, with the mistakes there in the end. And then it was... Um, he's actually lucky that he that he still got a podium spot out of it. 
because I thought it was over, but for some reason he got it back on. Um, he got it back on and was able to continue and uh, finish in third. Uh, I think that White also kind of gave up on on um, uh, a podium position, but yeah, it was it was an entertaining race. It was different conditions, which made it even more fun. Uh, the course layout was a little bit different as well. I think overall it was a great race to watch. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Ferdinand seemed to be a bit too eager there at the end. All mistakes that could have been avoided. Probably a bit of inexperience there as well, despite having raced for the win. And you wouldn't expect a guy like Ferdinand to make these mistakes. It happens. I think he's just a little bit too eager at the moment. But I do think that he will win a race somewhere here. I mean... At the very least, he's going to win Indianapolis, but he should win one of these USCX rounds because his form is pretty good. But Bastans, he seemed to be improving a lot. And I think the interesting thing about Bastans was he didn't make a strong impression. His form was a bit on and off. We discussed the reasons earlier this podcast, but at the end of the race, he was there. There were a couple of people questioning why he didn't make a move in that final lap. Well, he tried to make one. But that got countered pretty easily. I rewatched that final lap like I always do. But what Bastans did, I don't call it a mistake. But right off the start-finish straight going into the final lap, he can see that Rouillet and Ferdinand are playing games. He absolutely destroys himself riding up that climb to rejoin them at the front. I don't call it a mistake because he doesn't know what Rouillet and Ferdinand are going to do. He's just thinking, I need to rejoin those leaders, then I will see what happens. If he waits and thinks like, oh, I will just pace myself, catch up four seconds here, then one second in the downhill, etc. For all he knows, Rouillet might send it, or Ferdinand. He needs to join them as soon as possible, so he does that. But in doing so, he burned all the matches he had and was done for. So... At the end of the day, it is what it is. Second, lucky to still get Ferdinand there. But I would say that things did look a lot better for Bastans on the Sunday than on the Saturday. And I can't believe I haven't mentioned this. It is the season opener. It is always difficult to start your cyclocross season. Especially when it's super hot and dry on Saturday. It It's only worse. It, it's difficult. And... People react differently to it. We know that in the past, a rider like Tonarts always needed a bit of time. Elise Beat was there right away. It is difficult, and things can change once you settle into a rhythm. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I fully agree. I don't, I, I, I don't even know who would say that that was a mistake from Bastans. I think that it was quite clear, and it's even better if you close the gap as fast as possible because if you just, you know, let that gap. You know, if you want to take your time closing it, there was not really a lot of time left. It was the last lap, so he had to he had to do that to make sure that he was there, and then he could, you know, everything was then possible. If they would look a little more to each other, it it could, you know, he might have had enough time to recover, and maybe he could have played a role. But you know, in the end, I think that uh, that move might have actually helped him to to get that second place. So yeah. It is, you know, it's very hard to already come with a lot of hard conclusions on on how a season of a rider is going to be after the opener, uh, the, the opening weekend. I think that it's just, you know, it's a bit too fast. We uh, next weekend we definitely are going to see a little bit more what is going on with these riders, uh, what is the status at the moment. Some riders might even have a setback, you know, the way they have been training and stuff. So, you know, we just Race by race, we will go through it, and then eventually we'll have an idea of how the riders uh, match up to each other. Before I run you guys down the top 10, I would like to still mention one thing about Rouillet. I thought it was super interesting to see the line choices he made. You can clearly see he was Swiss. He was taking a couple of wide lines, especially in this downhill before the stairs. There was this switchback left-hander. And already on Saturday, he was taking a way wider line, which gave him a lot higher speed heading towards the next right-hander. 
And you could see that on Sunday, most riders followed this line, especially as it had gotten a bit slippery. And he did this through more corners, which was interesting because he was pretty much the only one racing this aggressively looking for the green. Might have to do with the fact that he was running a bit more pressure than the rest, or maybe even a different thread, although I think it was just the pressure. Let's look at the top 10 then. Roulier ahead of Bastans and Ferdinand, then a couple of Americans just off the podium, Curtis White, the national champion, in fourth, ahead of Jack Spranger. Andrew Dillman ended sixth, ahead of Caleb Swartz. Then eighth place for Michael Vandenham, ahead of Marcus Shelton and Jules van Kemper, who finished in tenth. Couple of names here, Isam. First of all, Jack Spranger. And let's mention him together with Marcus Shelton, two U23 riders in the top ten, both racing for the Bear CX team. Pretty good ride, especially by Jack Spranger. Yep, totally agree. I think it was a very, very strong ride from both guys, but especially from Jack Springer. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it is a difficult course, especially, you know, you have to readjust from what you had on the Saturday. The Sunday was a bit different, it was a bit more slippery, a bit more muddy. Uh, so you had to, you know, you had to adjust. And I think they both did very well. Springer a little bit better. So... Yeah, I think from both guys, a strong ride. Uh, but from Sprenger, especially, you know, only 19 years old, that is, there is still a long way to go for him to, to reach uh, the potential. Uh, and he has a lot of time to do so. But, you know, with these type of races, it's always um, very promising to see. And, you know, great great to have him in, in the top five and, 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 you know, see already that there is some of the potential getting unlocked and you know looking forward to what he can do in the, the in the yeah the next part of the season because i think there's still a lot of races to go uh, and if this is uh, just the opening of the season looking forward to what can uh, come next Spranger is just a very talented guy. When he was a second year junior he raced in Lunhout and it's second there behind Kenai de Moyer. He's riding for Paulshausen now. He finished ahead of Kai de Bruyker, another rider who's been with Paul Sauze. He finished ahead of Aaron Dox, a guy who is with Kredan Korengel now. This is a very talented guy. And it's good to see that talent come out. He posted on Instagram that the first day was a terrible day for him. He felt like it was one of the worst days on the bike ever for him. He doubted his form. But that the next day he was finally able to hit back. He will go mountain biking now there's two world cups left understandable this guy is also pretty talented on the mountain bike although i would love to see what he will do later this cross season potentially coming to europe coming to worlds but this is a talented guy and marcus shelton with two top tens is also following him and this is a guy who has not been on my radar since he was racing the juniors i do know he came to europe to race when he was a junior i think he got sick I think he was with Eurocross Academy from the top of my head. I know he did well on the American scene. His name didn't really stick. But no, he's been doing very well this year so far. Good start to the season for both. And yeah, I mean, overall, quite some guys that can take positive. Caleb Swartz, two pretty good results. Needs to maybe get that little bit more endurance. Fading back in the back of the race a little bit. But good result for him. Jules van Kempen with another top 10. Also a decent ride by him. He said he made a couple of mistakes too much, uh, too many mistakes in the beginning of the race, but overall a decent result by him. Another U23 just outside of the top 10, Dylan Sarkazak. Decent result by him as well. Only name really missing was uh, Andrew Strohmeyer, of course, the animator on Saturday. I don't really know what was up, Isam. I don't know if you have any information. I couldn't find anything, but was at the front for two minutes at the start of the race and then just disappeared. Yeah, I know as much as you do. Um, there was some mention of him on the in the broadcast that, that he was moving up again, but I, I don't know what happened. It was, like you said, it was in the first lap. It was kind of there, and then all of a sudden we, we couldn't see him anymore, and it was kind of done. I don't know if that was a mechanical... It almost has to be, I guess, but, you know, we are not certain. We don't know what happened, and uh, it's all guessing for us. So um, maybe we find out uh, next week. 
Yeah, I do think there has been some sort of issue. He withdrew from the race eventually, but around the midway point of the race, he was back up to around 12th place, I saw on the live timing, and then faded, but maybe we'll know by next week. Let's briefly go through the standings, because they are not that surprising. Doris Rouillet leads ahead of Anton Ferdinand and Vincent Bastans. He has a 20 and 26 point lead respectively. On the women's side, Magali Rochette leads Mani by 16 points. Raylan Nas sits in third a bit further down, 24 points to be precise. Then, to end this podcast, another new segment. Noah, in the fields. Welcome to the first intersection of Noah in the fields today. I am in Mechelen coming to you from the riders parking. We just had the first real race, a real important race, the women elite combined with women U23 and women junior. Mary Schreiber, the champion of Luxembourg, won twice last week in Germany and looked to be the strongest rider all race here. She was the most powerful, was able to ride up the steepest and hardest climb as the only rider. Despite that, she had fierce opposition from Benfeld and Van Alphen for most of the race. But in the final laps, she was able to get away. With two laps to go, she opened a 15-second gap. But Van Alphen managed to come back to 7 seconds. Schreiber, probably feeling the pressure, took a tumble. And that meant that Van Alphen came into the race lead. Schreiber at some point managed to close a gap of almost 10 seconds. She was right in the wheel, but then slid again. No crash, but just a small mistake. And that meant that Van Alphe was gone and took the win ahead of Schreiber. Benfeld ended third. With me here now is today's race winner, Annick van Alphe. After two podium places last week, how good does it feel to take the win in the first race in the Netherlands, your home country? Uh, it feels amazing, also uh, because it's in the Netherlands, so there are a lot of uh, supporters. Um, the final lap, it was <laughs> very hard, but also amazing with all the support from the, from the Dutch people. It was a bit less hot this week than last week, but still very hot these races. How do you deal with the heat? Yeah, it was still a bit too hot for me, I think. Uh, for cyclocross, it's, it, yeah, it's too hot. Um, so, last week I had a bottle of water on my bike, but today not. And uh, yeah, the final laps I missed it. So, uh, it was hard, but I think when nobody has a bottle or something, it's for everybody the same. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's hard to not go over your limit in the heat. Do you think you paced yourself well, considering in the final lap you were able to defend off Marie Schreiber, who of course crashed, but still you managed to prevent her from coming back? Yeah, I think I did a, did it perfect. So uh, I had one pace the, the whole race. And the final lap I maybe was a bit faster than the laps before. So yeah, that makes uh, that I'm yeah stronger maybe the final lap and make less technical mistakes so that's why i took the win then final question last year for the more international viewers that you had your breakthrough taking the win in the super prestige in boom is that something you hope to do again continue building to be at the front in those type of races yeah i hope to take a uh, victory maybe in a yeah a bit a bigger uh, race like the super prestige or something or maybe a podium spot on the world cup so we will see what the season will bring thank you very much I just spoke with Lars Boom, who confirmed to me that Blanca Vash will be starting her season in Oysterwijk on the 14th of October, most likely. No American trip for SD Works. And then from there on, they will roll into the World Cups, which will be the predominant focus of their season with both Schreiber and Vash. Vash will be racing the test event in Paris, and she is doing that after she raced the U23 Worlds and confirmed what we thought that the decision to race U23 there was simply to 
get the Olympic ticket, which is also why she is racing the test event, because she wants to score a medal and thinks that should be realistic considering her fourth place in Tokyo. Now I'm going to try and find a new sheriff because there is a new sheriff in town, the new owner of the Kralam and the new sponsor, Corendon. We didn't like the jersey, but let's try and find the new sheriff there, the boss of the team, Thomas Snyders, who is new in running that team. Unfortunately, I could not find Thomas. He was gone pretty quickly after the men's race, which just finished. We saw a victory of Wart Huips there. Strong performance overall, clearly the strongest rider in the race, no disputing that. So Gornier van Kessel blow up quite significantly, just like his teammate Victor van der Putten. Can't say it's surprising for both of them, as they both have a bit of a tendency recently, at least in past seasons, to do so. But overall, good race, strong performance by the youngster Jordi Corses. No time to do some interviews. I need to get back home. Two-hour drive. Need to watch the USCX series tonight. But overall, it's been a good day. That will be it for the first episode of Noah in the Field. We will be back next cross on the schedule is, from the top of my head, Dusseldorf on the 14th of October. Well, Isam, so far for my report from Mechelen, can we expect an Isam in the field somewhere this season? <laughs> well, I have to say, I really like this, but I don't know. Um, I have nothing planned, not really, so... Um, ah, I, I don't have... lie, don't lie. Benidorm, <laughs> Benidorm is well, on Beni- the schedule. Beni- yeah, Benidorm for sure. Benidorm seems to be on the schedule again, so uh, there most likely, and then... You know, we have to see. Maybe maybe some other races, but Benidorm is uh, almost almost confirmed, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I will finish this podcast with uh, short notice on the results of the final round of the Hope Supercross Series in Barnoldswick in the UK. Thomas Mean took the win ahead of Cameron Mason and Daniel Barnes. Women's elite race was won by Anna Kay ahead of Alderney Baker and Xan Kreese. Isam, I thank you once again for coming here to discuss the USCX Series. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was uh, a pleasure and uh, on to the next one. Yeah, I think the next one will be next week when we discuss the USCX series in Rochester. Unless any American listeners are reaching out to us, calling us, saying, Noah, interview me, do a segment with me, because we are always open to that type of stuff. Just getting a bit of a word in there, but uh, normally we would be back next week. So see you guys then. Goodbye.